Welcome. Great to see every one of you here this morning. If you have your Bibles, I'd encourage you to take them and turn with me as we are in our series in Jonah. Our text will be found the, the last verse of the first chapter. Verse 17 is where we'll start. We'll read down through chapter 2, verse 10 in just a moment. I want to welcome every single one of you here. A um, lot of movement, a lot of activity Our Puerto Rico team is back. We are um, grateful for their safe travels, praying for Dan Nauta as well. Had a bit of an incident. Glad to see you here this morning, Dan. Um, Wendy and I were able to watch the students this past Friday night. Uh, Many of of Big Woods kids were involved in the local uh, production at Central Mountain High School. Well done. Well done, um, it was such a, I was so proud of you um, in watching uh, the many, many gifted students that are out there. We are a blessed church in many ways. We have a lot here in our text. And so first and foremost, we want to direct our attention to the Lord um, in prayer. And so I would ask that you bow your heads and pray with me this morning. Father, we do come before you as your children, and we want to thank you for knowing who we are, for seeing us, for hearing our our cries and our pleas. We thank you, Lord, for sending your son, Jesus, as we, in a few moments, will remember the communion table. We remember Christ that Jesus paid on our behalf the wrath that he endured. We thank you. We thank you, Lord, for your word that is now open before us. And I would ask, Lord, that you would speak to us. May the Holy Spirit make it very clear what you want us to hear, what you want us to learn, and what you want us to go out of this building with in a few moments. We thank you, Lord, for how powerful your word is discerning even between soul and spirit. God, I would ask that I would would not interfere in any way with work that you want to accomplish this morning. Please, Lord, use me as you see fit. May everything that is done exalt the name and the work of Jesus and bring glory to you. That is my prayer. I plead with you. Can you be glorified in these few moments? We love you. I love you. I love this church and what you're doing in our midst. May you, by your grace, continue to do an amazing work. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. And amen. Okay, our series, the book of Jonah, where are we? What, what, what do we know for sure, for certain. It's a short book, a little book. It's only four chapters long. Uh, there's only 48 verses in its entirety. And we know that there's, there's a single kind of overarching theme to the entire book. It, it is not, it's not about moralism, okay? A moral redirect. Don't do bad things. You're going to get swallowed by a really great, big, ugly fish. It's not about that. Okay, there's, there's something that, that is an overarching theme. Well, what is it? We, we know that in this book, we, we, we will read four different references to this fish. 
We'll read about nine different references about the city of Nineveh. We'll read about 18 different references about this man whose name was Jonah. But there's 38 references to God. The overarching theme is what? God's in charge. God is, God is sovereign. God is the star of the show. It's not Jonah. It's not the city of Nineveh. It's not a fish. This is all about God's sovereignty. God has a plan and a very clear purpose for Jonah's life, just like God has a very clear purpose for your life. This is not a morning that you're going to elbow the person next to you. You better hear this. God has a plan and God has a purpose for your life. Every single follower of Jesus has been gifted by his grace with having a little tiny part with fulfilling God's perfect plan. The problem is, is what? There's a lot of Jonas out there. Let's not give this Jonah too hard of a time because we oftentimes reflect his own behavior. Jonah, I can't believe that he ran the opposite direction. Some of you this morning, and I say this in grace and love, some of you are running the opposite direction that God desires for you to run. God has called some of you very specifically this morning, to repent, to turn. God has called all of us, but God has called some of you very specifically this morning to acknowledge your own life, look at your own heart, and say, what areas that must be different? What is it that God has to do to get your attention? Look what he did for Jonah. God hurled a mighty tempest, a horrific storm to get Jonah's attention. We see that God is what? He has displayed his sovereignty over the sea and the storms. God has displayed his sovereignty over the minds of men, as we saw last week with the work of, uh, work of God in the minds of the sailors. Let, let's, let's pick up the narrative. Let's move on. We pick it up in verse 17, Jonah chapter 1. Follow along as I read. And the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. Then Jonah prayed to the Lord, his God, from the belly of the fish, saying, I called out to the Lord out of my distress, and he answered me. Out of the belly of Sheol I cried, and you heard my voice. For you cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas, and the flood surrounded me. All your waves and your billows passed over me. Then I said, I am driven away from your sight, yet I shall again look upon your holy temple. The waters closed in over me to take my life. The deep surrounded me and weeds were, were wrapped about my heads at the roots of the mountains. I went down to the land whose bars closed upon me forever. Yet you brought up my life from the pit, O Lord my God. When my life was fainting away, I remembered the Lord, and my prayer came to you into your holy temple. Those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love. But I, with the voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you. What I have vowed, I will pay. Salvation belongs to the Lord. And the Lord spoke to the fish, 
and it vomited Jonah out upon the dry land. There's a lot here. We're not able to tackle it all in one week. So I've divided this one message into two parts. And we're going to look at part number one today with what is it that God has for us? You know, I'm a student of history. I love history. I love learning from his story. I reminded just this past week of uh, General George B. McClellan, arguably one of the greatest military minds in the history of the United States. He was the youngest ever appointed to West Point, 15 years old. He was dubbed or often referred to as the young Napoleon. He advanced very quickly through the ranks uh, to the position of general-in-chief in in the United States Army during the Civil War. It was spoken that he had a phenomenal strategic mind. He was a a renowned and meticulous map maker. He gave great attention to detail. He was loved by his fellow soldiers. He understood the enemy very, very well. But there was a problem. There was a constant reluctance to attack the enemy. Abraham Lincoln, President Lincoln, says this, and I quote, McClellan was meticulous in his planning and preparations. But these very characteristics hampered his ability to challenge aggressive opponents in a fast-moving battlefield environment. As a result, he lost his job. Abraham Lincoln replaced him with Ulysses Grant, and, and you know the rest of the story. You grew up and learned this. This is Grant, certainly not near as brilliant of a mind. And yet it says that he would pick a fight with a beehive buck naked. What happened? 13 months and the war was over. Think about this for a moment. A soldier, a soldier that refuses to attack makes no sense at all. A prophet of God who refuses to speak the truth of God. That's what Jonah is. What makes no sense at all. So what? So what? What happens in those cases? So God appointed a storm. We saw it first. And now secondly, God appointed a fish. Now this is not just any fish. This is a very specific Fish. We know that over the years there have been many, many critics and cynics to the word of the God that would argue this point. Oh my goodness gracious, really? Like a giant fish came and swallowed a man and he lived in there for three days and three nights and then threw him back up. And people would would criticize that. And what is our response to that? Excuse me. It says that the Lord appointed a great fish, specifically. Let me remind you of this. As we are talking about this overarching theme that God is sovereignty, God's sovereignty is not restricted. It is not limited by science and or the laws of nature. Why? Because a sovereign God that we worship wrote and established the laws of nature. We got word this week. I, I, in all honesty... There was a, it's a hard, I don't know, an ache, uh, 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 an ache in my stomach when, when I heard the news of the death of Stephen 
talking. When, when I consider for a moment, I ache at the apparent eternal plight of this, what, so-called brilliant man, an English physicist, that many would say one of the outstanding minds of our day. And yet, up to the very, very end, he refused to acknowledge the existence of a creator God. And he certainly refused the acknowledgement of a savior. Refused to put his faith and his trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. A brilliant mind. He says things like this. There is a grand design to the universe. He's correct. But he continues on. But it has nothing to do with God. Stephen Hawking says that we are just an advanced breed of monkeys on a minor planet of a very average star. But we can understand the universe and that makes us something special. He goes on to say, again, we are each free to believe what we want. And it's my view that the simplest explanation is there is no God. No one created our universe and no one directs our fate. This leads me to a profound realization that there probably is no heaven and no afterlife. Stephen Hawking would be at the front of a long list of People who would say, there is no great big fish that swallowed a guy whose name was Jonah. Can I read to you what the truth of the word of God says in Psalms chapter 14? It says in verse 1 that the fool has said in his heart, there is no God. Regardless of what may appear as human brilliance, the fool has said in his heart, there is no God. According to the laws of science, a donkey is not supposed to talk. And yet we read about that in the word of God. According to science, a virgin is not supposed to give birth. According to science, dead people don't come back to life again. According to science, seas don't spread so people can walk through on dry land. According to science, water does not turn into wine and people don't walk on water or walk through fire according to science. But what? There's a sovereign God who is a God of miracles who works both outside and also inside the limits and the laws of science and nature. It is, it is possible, it's possible that 300 Israelis could defeat 135,000 Midianites. It's possible, but it's not very plausible. But it happened because the word of God told us that. It, it's, it's possible that a little, what, 15, 16-year-old shepherd boy could defeat a nine-foot-high seasoned soldier. It's possible, it's not very plausible, but that's exactly what happened. Because there's a God of miracles. He's sovereign over everything. It's possible that the Eagles could defeat the Patriots. It's just not very plausible. No, 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 I do not put that in the same category at all, at all. Let me tell you this. The word of God is truth. If it says in the word of God that Jonah was swallowed by a great fish or else if it said that Jonah swallowed a great fish, then I believe it and it's true. God has a purpose. God has a plan for Jonah to accomplish something very, very specific to speak the truth 
of God to those in need. Just like God has a purpose for you. You, you are not... You are not given the license. You're not given the permission to claim to be a follower of Jesus and yet not follow him. To, 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 to follow him in, in obedience. Jonah didn't like the instruction that God gave to him. And so what did he do? He, he ran the other direction. In this particular case, we could probably say he, he swam the other direction. At least he tried to. He was tossed or hurled by a bunch of terrified sailors into the sea and what? And the storm miraculous. Then Jonah prayed, finally, 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 these verses that we look at this morning are a prayer from the depths of the sea, from the depths of Jonah's soul. Apparently it wasn't enough, what, for there to be a, 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 a stomach-turning, gut-wrenching storm to make Jonah start to pray. Apparently being thrown overboard wasn't enough to, to, to start Jonah praying. But now what? But now what? Deep inside the belly of a fish, gastric juices at work, stomach Acids bleaching and burning his skin white. His eyes burning and stinging. Finally, then Jonah prayed. Hit pause real quick. Let me ask you a question. How, how long does it take for you to pray? Like how, how, how dark does it have to get? How painful and how scary does it have to be in the midst of what? In the midst of all of the trouble of your entire life for you to actually begin to start to pray. How bad does it have to get? Wendy and I flew home this past Monday night and it, it, still, it still gets me every single time and we hear exactly the same thing. If the little flight attendant, you know, with the little object lesson, if the cabin loses pressure, then all you have to do, this little bag's gonna drop out and you just put this little plastic bag over your, over your uh, nose and mouth and I love this, just breathe normal. <laughs> There's a reason that the cabin just lost its pressure. The instruction, it, it's pretty clear. If this, what, this metal cylinder that's moving 550 miles an hour drops 30,000 feet out of the sky, just hold on to your... Do for me. Is, and you, you won't see. Understanding, I remember hearing this years ago. Certainly, the 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 flight attendant, the the stewardess. Okay, they give you a little piece of instruction, and it would say, "Make sure your belt's on tight." And if things really get bad, they talk about the crash position. This is what you do in the crash position. And then the last piece of instruction. They actually used to give this out. was like, if this really looks bad, if this is like really going down, here's the instruction: two words, commence. Praying. How bad does it have to get for you and I to commence praying? 
apparently it had to get pretty bad for Jonah. Let me, let me remind you that, that we are never, we are never to leave prayer as a last resort. Prayer is to be our first response. Let me say that again. We are to never under any circumstance. Let's wait for this whole thing to go down before we commence pray. It is never to be a last resort. It is to be a first response. Number one, what do we see here? Jonah cried out for God's help. Jonah cried out for God's help. Jonah says, I, I, I called out to the Lord. Out of my distress, that is the Hebrew word, it's, it's pronounced sarah. Some actually pronounce it sarah, but my daughter and son-in-law uh, don't like that particular pronunciation of the word distress. And so I go with the word sarah. It, it, means, it means distress or trouble to the point of anguish. This is not, this is not a casual calling out here. Excuse me, uh, yeah, you forgot some lemon in my water? No, no, it has nothing to do with that. This is not a casual calling out. This is not a, could you please help me? This is a desperate plea. It is a pleading. It is a final word. Best described, I think, simply as in inaudible gasp. It, it, it's, it can't even be pronounced. I, I, was in one, I was in one car accident my entire life. I was 17 years old. I was um, driving uh, my parents' Volare station wagon. It had those beautiful wood panel, that wood panel look. of my parents pulled out. We lived on a, on a second. Middle of the lane. And I looked. It was a dump truck pulling a flatbed with a bulldozer on the back. They estimate from the skid marks that it hit me at 60 to 65 miles an hour. Completely T-boned me. Broadside. And, and I remember there was a cry and it was inaudible. I remember I, I said something. I know something came out of my mouth. It, 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 was, it was my final word. I was that terrified. And and God, I remember every window had imploded and I had glass in my mouth. I didn't know what it was. I thought it was my teeth and I was spitting out and everything was just this crash and smoke and I literally, literally physically walked out, not a scratch. There wasn't a scratch. There wasn't a burn. There was not a mark on me. Just a cry. I told you about the time Seth was seven years old and we were ministering up in northern Maine in the middle of February and... He had wandered off and got lost in the woods, dark out. A little boy wandered around the middle of the, of, of the woods, freezing cold, sub-zero temperatures. I remember with the light, I have a light. 
and two words, God help. That was all I could, all, all I could get out. God help, God help. That's a, I repeated it. Just God help, God help. There was nothing else. There was no fancy prayer. And yet to this day, I think it was most sincere prayer I ever prayed in my life. Jonah says, I, I called out. He speaks and he prays and, and he says this. He says, out, out of the belly of Sheol. He's creating a metaphor. He's creating a picture here. I cried out. What, what is this? Sheol. Sheol literally means it's a place of death. It's under earth or under worlds. From, from the belly of the grave, from the belly of Hades. What, what is Jonah doing? Literally, it took, it took hell or at least something in Jonah's limited perspective in that moment, it took hell for him to actually cry out. It took hell before he finally prayed. The sad thing, the sad thing is, is that this prayer, Warren Wiersbe says this, he goes, this prayer was born out of affliction, not affection. Oftentimes the way that we pray isn't it? Whereas he says the prayer was born out of affliction, not affection. He cried out to God because he was in danger, not because he delighted in the Lord. Does that, does that ever describe the way that you pray? Like this whole thing is like, it is just, it is crash and burn. And like we've done everything that we can do and like it's clearly not working. So then in the midst of a living hell, we cry out. Now, praise God that Jonah did cry out for help. Praise God he did. Why? Because God has a very specific plan and a purpose for Jonah's life. Just like, just like God has a very specific plan and a purpose for your life. If you are a follower of Jesus, I believe that means that you're to follow Jesus in full obedience. Full obedience. We're not looking for perfection. We're looking for a striving. What, what is it going to take? It says three days, three, three days and three nights. Was it exactly, precisely 72 hours? We, we don't know. We know that uh, Jews measured time. Any part of a day was considered a day. We know that Jesus was in the tomb for three days, part of Friday, all of Saturday, part of Sunday. We don't know specifically, but apparently pretty close to what? 72 hours of hell was exactly what Jonah needed. And perhaps that is exactly what you need. You realize that? Some of you, even at this very moment, that your story is a living hell. Nothing's working. And it, and it took everything, it took everything for you to muster just to come here. Then, Jonah prayed. Perhaps this day, this hour, then, you prayed. Jonah cried out for God's help. Secondly, Jonah accepted. He accepted God's correction. 
Now, I want you to note the very, very important attention to detail here in Jonah's, what, Jonah's accurate perspective. It was, it, it was not the sailors that threw him overboard. Sure, they were the ones who actually picked him up and tossed him, but, but Jonah understands it was God. Look, look what it says. You, speaking of God, he's praying, you, God, cast me into the deep. Your waves Your billows passed over me. Jonah is correct in his understanding that God in his sovereignty is doing what? He is chastising Jonah. He is chastening Jonah. He is correcting Jonah. He is disciplining Jonah. Necessarily, appropriately. The very fact, the very fact that Jonah is being corrected is proof that he is truly a child of God. Why? Because God is concerned about you, his own child, and he will discipline you. Why? Because he loves you. Hebrews chapter 12 says, the Lord disciplines, the Lord corrects those whom he loves. It continues on. In verse 6 and verse 8, if you are left without discipline in which all have participated, then you are illegitimate children and you are not sons. So rather than balking, how dare God rough and and wrinkle my plan? No, 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 no. No one wants it. No one wants correction. No one likes it. Let me tell you this. Hear me this morning. It is needed. It is desperately needed. I read this week that discipline is to the believer what exercise and training are to the athlete. Therefore, we cannot miss it, miss it, and we most certainly, most certainly should not waste it. Jonah, what comes to what this understanding recognizes God has a plan and has and a purpose for his life. And finally, he stopped running. Finally, he he started praying. Finally, he surrendered and submitted. You and I need to do the same. We need to do exactly the same. Where are you right now in your obedience, in living towards full obedience? And following Jesus. Where are you right now? Do you realize if it is anywhere, if it is anywhere else other than a pursuit of full obedience, I, I want you to understand this. Expect to be corrected. Expect it. Expect to be chastened. If you claim to be a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ, you put your faith in your trust. You acknowledge that he is Lord and Savior. And if you are living in disobedience, expect correction. I want you to know that. Are, 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 you, are you, what, in a living hell at this very moment? Are you crying out? Are you crying out and willing to accept God's correction? A soldier that refuses to attack makes no sense. A prophet of God that refuses to speak the truth of God makes no sense. Someone who claims to be a follower of Jesus and yet they refuse to follow Jesus in obedience makes absolutely no sense. I am so thankful. I am so thankful 
that the Lord Jesus Christ, when he was here on this earth, and God, God revealed his perfect will was for his own son to suffer and die. I am so thankful that Jesus didn't run the other direction. So thankful for that. Was it hard? You better believe it. Was, was there parts that Jesus even prayed? He said, Father, please remove this cup, this, this, suffer, this cup of suffering from me. But, but I am thankful that he was obedient, that he submitted to the authority of his heavenly father. And he said, it's not what I want, it's what you want. Which brings us to where we are at this very moment. We, we are instructed as a body. Do you realize that this is one of the definitions of what the body of Christ is? People that gather together to remember the Lord's table, to remember the Lord's supper. That's one of, that's one of the unique things that we do. And so we have this visual reminder that, that we pause and we talk about the fact that Jesus, he wanted to present a message that was so important that no one would ever forget it. And so when we add our senses, we add eyesight and, 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 and scent and taste, we remember things. It's exactly what Jesus wanted when he sat with his disciples, his followers in the upper room. They were finished dinner and, and as they're in dialogue and, 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 and Jesus is listening and they're talking about football games and they're talking about car races and they're talking about, about baseball season and they're talking about everything else. He had, he had to bring their attention back and he said, whoa, whoa, whoa. He took some bread and he showed them. He says, see this bread? And he, he tore the bread, he broke the bread in half and he said, this bread is a picture of my body. This is what's going to happen to me. They were shocked. Lesson wasn't over. It says that Jesus took fruit of the vine and and he poured it out. And and he he said, I want you to drink this. Wait a minute, you Christian people that talk about like blood and then you drink it and all that weird stuff. No, 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 it's a picture. Bread is a picture of the body of Christ. The, The cup is a picture the blood of Jesus that was poured out for the forgiveness of Tim Boger's many, many, many sins. That, that Jesus allowed his own blood to be poured out for, for all of your sins once and for all. He died one time. And he could do that because he was perfect. He's the lamb without any blemish. We're now given opportunities and we're given reminders about what it means to follow in obedience, what it means to, to surrender, to recognize and accept the fact that we are sinners deserving of what? The real hell forever and ever and ever. But God so loved the world, he gave his only son. He gave. That whoever believes on him would not die. Sure, the body. 78.8 years, I got the counter going. On average, body dies, but our soul can live forever and ever and ever and ever with him because we've been rescued through the work of Jesus. We have a reminder presented, given to us this morning. And so I encourage you and I invite you, if you are a believer here this morning, the elders are going to come. I'm going to invite them up now. and They're going to serve you the bread first. We're going to ask God's blessing on 
upon both the elements of the bread and the cup, and then we'll drink the cup together. And may we do this regularly as a reminder of what Jesus Christ has done until he comes again.